So I had the really incredible opportunity recently to um, do an opening poem or two before activist and scholar Angela Davis. People would ask her opinion about the future, you know, because she's this wise woman, former Black Panther leader. And her answer um, touched me very deeply because she said, you should not be asking me, you should be asking young people because they're closer to the future than I am. She said, eventually I'm gonna be gone, we'll, we'll be gone. And it's about what we've left behind for the next generation um, to fix or to find or to follow or to change or to destroy, right? You can't do that if you're the only one talking. <laughs> if it's just your opinion about where the city should go. Um, you know, who should have Wi-Fi? <laughs> what schools deserve a black box theater? What schools don't need computers? It has to be a, a community conversation and it requires, like this show, patience. And it definitely requires being open and it requires listening. And listening is a very, you know, lost art. I think that if we find a way to figure out how to stop talking <laughs> so much and, and take a deep dive into listening to someone else's story, how that really could actually change the world <laughs> in a very profound way. Taking someone's story in and saying, okay, I hear you. I hear you and I see you. This is Intersections Detroit, Resilience and Hustle from the Heart of the D, Chapter 10, Wisdom. Hello, Detroit. You won my heart. Your renaissance and what a front gives you a flair of your own. Irresistible you. Detroit has a, has a soul that I, I, I hope people really feel and recognize because that's the power of it to me. It's, it's very unique and very progressive in so many ways that I'm not sure that the rest of the country even realizes. The thing that most influenced me growing up in the city of Detroit was not a person, but an event. And it was the 1967 riots, or rebellion as they now call it, 
I can remember being on 12th Street as a kid and being allowed to walk without, I didn't have to have a parent with me because everybody knew who you were, they knew where you belonged, so you were good. And we had every store imagined on 12th Street, the candy store, the ice cream shop, the supermarket, the restaurants, everything was right there in walking distance. And I can remember as a kid, as I watched it burning, that after that, everything was gone. And it seemed like at that point, everybody else, everybody was gone. It was like everyone had vacated the community. After the riots, I started looking at my community and really working and going to school and graduating and going to college. I got older and I got into really looking at leadership. I had a little bit of stint where I was working for a politician, so I began to really see the workings of a city. And then raising my youngest son in a community where there was no playground was probably the most impactful thing for me because I always had to take him outside of the community. I had to go outside of the community to go to the grocery store. I, you know, activities outside the community, nothing was happening where I lived. And that caused me to begin to work with young people at Denby High School. And the, to, because these students were, as soon as I turn 18, I'm leaving the city. There's nothing here for me. And I literally cried with their rendition of their city. And it was like, my God, what have we created for our young people? I began working with the young people to transform their community, to let them know that they had a voice, that they were leaders, and that they needed to invest in the city in order to create a city where they want to stay and raise their families. the future and my future, which are so intertwined in the city of Detroit, feels like it's going to be all right as long as we adults really work hard right now to develop those leaders, you know, the younger leaders, so that as we step down and sit back, they can take over and continue the work. When I see the young people that I work with and step into their leadership roles, I step back quietly and let them do their thing. I'm Sandra Turner Handy. I am a mother, a grandmother, born and raised in the city of Detroit, and I am a community activist and leader. I do not expect the city of Detroit or my community to look the way it once looked but I do expect it to be a city where people want to live, where that's safe, that's clean, that's healthy. I mean, the future to me is not a rebound city, but a recreation of a city. And, and that's, that's the future that I see.
fight every couldn't fight everyone it was too much there's bill right here bill right here is another uh, another founding member right here bill during the 70s clark park was a place of recreation we came here every day just about during the 80s the neighborhood changed and the decline of the neighborhood and then the 90s we were living here in the neighborhood residents saw it was a need for action in the park. We went to the city, the city gave us the keys and said if you could run it and put hours into it, fine, let's see what you guys can do. So there was a number of neighborhood residents and activists and church and schools that got involved and we formed a Clark Park Coalition. We just slowly but surely putting the pieces back to the puzzle of Clark Park. Well, this is our building, I'll show them the building. This is, a, this is, this is Clark Park back in the day. So most of the people that really put the effort in getting this park together were people that actually lived here at one time where they moved out but their heart was still here or the people that are still living here. A window right though? Yeah, that was down there. Yeah, down there. Still there. Still there, yeah. We look every day out at the park and we see moms pushing strollers, kids on bikes, so that's a great sign to see. We didn't see that for many years where people were, were able to walk through the park without, you know, looking over the back. My name is Anthony Benavides and I'm one of the founding members of the Clark Park Coalition in Southwest Detroit. So my grandmother, Miss Lily Church, um, she is amazing. In Ghana, this is my grandmother on my mom's side, but in Ghana, like we refer to them as griots, right? So a person who would be your reference for culture, your reference for um, wisdom. And so like she was that rock for our family. She's been an inspiration to me from a, a, an intangible as well as a tangible standpoint, uh, just because I really look to her even now for like, for wisdom, but even from like fashion inspiration, like I, I wear her hats. She's just, she's a rock. The definition of the matriarch. When I think about Detroit during my upbringing, I was very much so a kid running toward the flame. Um, there was there was an allure about the city that my parents very much so did not want me to gravitate toward. They were fearful that I'd be pulled into, pulled into the wrong circles or I'd be hanging out in areas that would be detrimental to my safety. Um, whereas I saw the beauty in all of that. Like when I saw an abandoned building with graffiti, I saw an artscape. My parents saw 
<laughs> like danger. And so it was a constant struggle between myself and my parents to kind of keep me out of harm, but still to influence like my creative drive. There's like this period of my life that uh, I would refer to as the glow up. <laughs> and so I mean that in the sense that like from 16 to 18, I was a hot mess. I was really figuring myself out. And I would say at about 18 is when I really started to think for myself. Um, it wasn't me projecting the things that were surrounding me, but it was finally a moment where I was like, okay, like I know that I love food. I know that I want to be some sort of an impact on people. I saw an actual need. And so that need is what really drove me to go after things like Black Restaurant Week. We are on Livernoy, AKA the Avenue of Fashion. You have shops and restaurants and everything around here. I think it's a, it's a very residential area. Um, you've got Sherwood Forest right here, which is like beautiful historic neighborhood. Um, but I think the main thing that really stands out about Livernoy is the fact that it's a boulevard and that you have this median going all the way down the street and understanding what this median down the street actually does to the feel of this street. It's not just an avenue, you know, it's not just like, it really is like a meeting space. You have Detroit, which is a city that's 84% black. Um, and so when you look at the uh, progress that the city is making and making sure that that narrative actually incorporates people of color, I think that my purpose lies somewhere tuck, tucked up in there. Um, and I would say that because I don't think that food is going to be the only conduit by which I actually affect change. I think that it's providing a literal and figurative seat at the table for a lot of people, but it's only like a launch pad into other things. And not for myself, but for this community. Like right now, we're sitting at Narrow Way on Livernoy. There are so many black owned establishments just on this block. And it's played such a historical part um, in the advancement of people of color in the city that like when I was looking for a place to get work done and to actually exercise within my purpose, Narrow Way made the most sense. When we characterize these, the owners of these um, establishments, we're talking about people that you see every day. You see them when you're driving down 75 to get to work. They're in the car next to you. You see them at the grocery store with two carts full of food. Like they're, they're like your next door neighbor because Detroit's become a brand, you know, to so many people. But to them, Detroit is home. This feels like home. And so this is where I do my work. I am Kwaku Osebonsu, lover of food, hats, and foot traffic.
So very proud to say that us in Detroit, we're not only getting the job done, but we're building a future together. We've been through all those hard times, but now we're a city to be reckoned with. People will want to come and see us because they know we can get it done. We love our music, our Motown music. We love our sports. And if uh, you look in my community, in my, in my facilities, where we're getting our jobs done, whether it's in a bakery or in an assembly line, or if it's at burners where we make our pop for and our soda for Detroit, uh, we're all doing it with the same premise of doing it together. Hi, I'm Pam Asaki and I'm a gladiator. My grandparents were farmers and those hard beginnings created a work culture and it also gave me a sense of community. My role was to pay it forward in every aspect of my life, whether it was with a greeting, a meeting, my time, compassion for another human being, or fighting a good cause. I'm hoping that the next generation will remember what it took to get here and not forget what everybody put in and their parents and their grandparents. We make a culture of commitment and we create a culture of passion. You have to have passion for us to continue to build the future together because gladiators don't give up. I'm gonna tell you a story my mama said in church. She wanted me to sing a solo. I sang about a verse and a half and I couldn't finish. I started crying. Well, my mother was livid. She was upset at me. So she said, next Sunday, you're gonna sing that song. And so I did, I got up and I started singing. And at the same spot, I couldn't finish. Now this time I didn't cry, come off of the choir stand, ran down the aisle and I ran out the door. And I had my little white robe on and I'm standing there kind of wiping my tears out. A lady, she walked past me, then she stopped very suddenly and she turned around. She said, son, do you sing? I said, well, ma'am, I, I tried and I was telling her, I, said, I wasn't able to finish this song. Then she said, oh my God, look at all the angels around you. I said, what do you mean? 
She says, just listen. Always remember, young man, that love is always the answer. And that to me is a ministry in the secular world. I can remember when I was like eight, nine, ten years old, we were sinking in little groups, of, you know, on the street corner. We'd be playing baseball, and, and after the game, somebody starts singing, and we'd try to you know, harmonize and all of that. My, my young life was full of athleticism, playing everything I could, and I can remember it meant that much to my mom, and she gave that to me. It meant that much to my dad. You know, as a kid, he made sitars and he sang on the street to make enough money to follow his dream, to come to Detroit and work in the factory so he can get equal pay like anybody else, just with a little hard work. My name is Abdul Kareem Fakir. Now, most folks call me Duke. Born in Detroit, raised in Detroit. This is my hometown and I love it. At my age, the future looks pretty bleak. <laughs> I'm a happy man. I think the best is still yet to come. My values really come from Detroit. I married Kermit Baylor, a Tuskegee Airman, born and raised Detroiter, who introduced me to a city that was in great need. That was the big turning point in my life. It just touched my heart in such a way that I've fallen in love with the city. We were married 29 years until he passed, unfortunately, in 1996. 
but it was the best part of my life. In that period, I fell in love with Detroit and I became very active in the city. I focused on race relations, I focused on poverty, I focused on youth, and all of my work in my professional life and in my volunteer work has been focused on children and on young people. And to me, that's where you have a chance to really make a difference. We were always trying to be a change maker. Actually, at Girl Scouts, we were concerned with teenage pregnancy, for example, and it was a very controversial issue in the 80s. And we took it on because we believed that this is something that every girl has to deal with and has to know how to handle. We were the first Girl Scout Council in the country to have a diversity awareness program for our troop leaders, because in Detroit, racism has been a, a horrible problem for many, many decades, if not forever. And it was so important that those leaders who work with girls had a passionate understanding of diversity and an appreciation for the beauty of diversity. Detroit is a fabulous example of overcoming adversity. Detroiters just never give up. We just won't quit coming, you know. There are people here who have almost nothing in terms of economic stability or everything else, but they are passionate about making a difference, about helping others. We've been through the ups and downs of the economy, of all the awful things you can think about, uh, and yet Detroit has a fighting spirit. It's a city with a great heart, and I just love being here. Which all told is probably hour, hour and a half away from um, But you need a train to get there. It's just remote enough for time wasters. <laughs> and at times, probably investors to, you know what, just leave them to it. Had that kind of thought. But if you need to get to them, you could. It wasn't like going to Arizona or something crazy. You'd be so out of touch. Um, and it basically does escalate. I mean, he built a team, and he has his, uh, he has his own ambitions. I think he had a very good sense of things that would lead to other things. And yeah, it essentially it gained momentum. He moves there in spring of 76. And you know, by the end of 1879, when he demonstrates a workable life lighting system, he's got upwards of 60, 70 people. And it, it's partly because it expands. Hi, I'm Shirley Birch, and I am a citizen and a lover of the Northeast of Detroit, where I grew up and still live here, having a marvelous time. I was only three when I came to Detroit, so my parents came up here for a better living. They came up during the era of the automobile industry, uh, that both parents worked in factories. They bought their own home at that time. The neighborhood that we lived in was full of love, full of vibrancy, and workers and people just watching out for one another. My goal is to rebirth the neighborhood that where I grew up back into the love that it had back in the 40s. Listen to Hello Detroit by Sammy Davis Jr. and that'll tell you how we feel about Detroit. These are my folks. Here's my hands and my arms. I got a hug for us.
the value that we share most is understanding the humanity in one another and the stories that we bring to the table. Culture is not complete if you don't have all the components in it. You have to have the dance, the music, the language. Detroit raises you to constantly speak up, to constantly speak out when there's injustice. Being silent is not an option. Big up to everybody in Detroit that's making an impact or trying to make an impact, even the ones we don't see. I just love being here. You have power within you right now. Use it. Take up your bed and walk. We've got to do the work so that there's a transformed community besides transformed people. The community is my passion. The consciousness and elevation of the people is my passion. And I love it. I don't care how challenging it is, I love it. There's always someone in need. When there's someone in need, there are those that tend to respond. Detroit raises you to speak up, speak out when there's injustice. You knock us down, we get back up, fight back, and say we deserve better. I think that in life you actually can have it all, not all at once, but eventually all in time. If you go around the city and you talk to people, you'll feel that Detroit love. It's a genuine love of brothers and sisters. I have seen a metamorphosis in Detroit. When I came here, it was much more segregated. It was much more fractured, I thought. But uh, education seemed to create a kind of bond, desire to operate on a different plane than where I was, you know. That's the thing that I found very essential before I came to Detroit. Those 10 years was working with my grandfather on the farm with the cows and the mules and hogs and dogs. <laughs> it was all a beautiful synthesis of uh, togetherness and how we can live in harmony without all the mayhem. It's about order, universal order for me, you know? Like the system of opposites that 
creates universal order. And it takes that kind of order I see to, for humans to exist in this world with some kind of a regulated system. I continue to work because I feel like that's a palette for good. And uh, I see those differences, and that's what Detroit has done for me, is transpose those differences into a unified system of order. It's given me beauty because I seek beauty, you know? That's the way life goes, you know? My name is Charles McGee. I'm a visual artist. you, hug and kissable you, you're alive with so much feeling, and I will always be there for you, I will say a little prayer for you, and I will always care for you. Hello, Detroit. Intersections Detroit is produced by LaToya Cross in the D for the Human Atlas and Rethink Audio. The executive producer and sound designer is Sarah Miles. Original music by Brian Eno, Ife Bess, and Marcus Elliott. Concept and interviews conducted by Marcus Lyon and his Human Atlas team. That's Camilla Pastorelli and Joe Briggs Price. Support for Intersections and the Human Atlas comes from the Kresge Foundation, working to expand opportunities in America's cities through grant-making and social investing. For more information, go to kresge.org. Special thanks to all iDetroiters, the people of our city. Your resilience, fire, and voice is what makes this work possible. My name is Jessica Care Moore. Remember to follow the show to get new chapters in the future on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find great stories. Peace.